Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I want to do a couple of kind of church family things. So if you're not a part of Sozo, you could plug your ears uh, if you want. That's all right. Uh, two things. One, um, our children's pastor, Lynette, um, when we brought her on almost three years ago, we said, hey, would you help us um, get some things rolling coming out of COVID, get just some order, some health? And uh, she reminded us that she has done that and that she has fulfilled her commitment. And uh, we're so grateful for what she's done, for what's going on in our children's ministry. And we're in a place where we are beginning to look for a new children's pastor. And so if you are interested or know somebody that is interested, qualified to be a children's pastor, uh, we would love to talk with you. And uh, if, if not, then we would invite that you would just pray with us that God would provide somebody. I really feel like as we move forward, God wants to do something significant with our kids, um, that uh, he cares a whole lot about our kids. In fact, Jesus was like, hey, stop uh, doing all this other stuff, let the kids come to me. And so we want to um, put uh, emphasis on our kids. I believe it's, the, it's one of the ways that we can reach families um, in our region. And so um, we're excited about where God is taking us, grateful for uh, what Lynette has done in the past few years. And so just wanted to bring that to you. Um, you may be some sort of like kids guru in hiding um, and so we wanted to just invite you out of hiding. If that's something you're interested in, you can talk to Natalie Taylor, our executive pastor. Um, she's running lead on that process. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just want to let you know about that. Here is the second thing. Um, in church, we don't necessarily like to talk about finances, but I just want uh, to let you know uh, just kind of where we are, what's going on with us. Things uh, are a little bit tight um, in our church family. Um, we're not on the edge of ruin by any means, um, but, but they're a little tight, so we're trying to be wise with how we steward our finances. We know this, that our God is an incredible pro provider, and he takes great care of our kids. We also know that he's given us big vision that's going to need more resources, not just finances, but all sorts of resources, way bigger than we could all give. So he's doing it, he's gonna provide. Um, at the same time, we know also that there's a lot of fear in our world with the economy, all that uncertainty, also coming out of, uh, out of the holidays, and maybe we spent a little more than we should, all that kind of stuff. So here's my uh, encouragement, exhortation to you. I know we just talked about giving. I'm not gonna take up an offering after saying this to you. I think in the kingdom we have two options. We have the option of living by the world's economy and the option of living by God's economy. And what happens is, is that when we choose to partner with what God's doing with our hearts and our resources, we get to step out of the world's economy and into God's economy and watch him do what he does. And so we're believing that for us as a church family, but also for the families of our church family. And I believe this, that what Galatians 6 says, that uh, a man reaps what he sows, God will not be mocked. And I believe that, that as you continue to live and give generously, that God won't be mocked, that he'll take good care of you and good care of us. Um, and I just wanted to let you know just a little bit uh, about that for us as a church family. So um, thank you for praying, for giving, for living generously. Um, yeah. Finally, I want to tell you a little bit about our trip to Burundi. I think we've got some pictures coming up. I didn't do a great job, I guess, communicating. There is the great Reverend Justin Ito. Justin, stand up. <laughs> 
Justin was part of our four-man team. Justin and I were on a, a minute. There's Justin again. Um, this is Justin leading, like, equipping two of the best worship leaders in Central Africa. Um, and, uh, and so the church there that, that we are partnering with, that we are uh, supporting, really coming alongside as they plant um, Abundant Life Burundi, um, we got to spend time with their incredible team um, before they've started. Freddie and I, uh, the pastor, we've been uh, talking nearly weekly for the last six, eight months or so. Um, and just, uh, yeah, he's, when he encountered you guys, he was like, this is what I want to do in Burundi. And so show me what's going on here. Um, help me understand a little bit uh, what's going on underneath the hood. And so we spent the week really uh, with their core leadership team, equipping them, pouring into them, uh, sharing what we've been learning and growing in together uh, with them, learning to hear God's voice, uh, learning how to process pain and trauma. Um, this is us actually with a, a group. They're not all in that room but it's 250 women and children that had been living uh, on the streets, and we got to be a part of providing dinner for them. The ministry that does that will be a part uh, of Abundant Life Church in Burundi, um, and they're just doing phenomenal work. These ladies were literally living on the street, and uh, this couple started taking care of them, um, helped them get clothes, helped them learn skills uh, in order to provide for their families, and uh, they've even taken... Uh, kids off the street that are not their own kids. So you've got these women that are living on about two bucks a day, and they're bringing in kids into their own family, even nursing kids that are not their own. Uh, pretty incredible. And that lady, that's like the only good picture I took. That lady is beautiful, um, and she uh, sews. And so she, I don't think Pam trained her, but she's like one of the ladies that Pam has trained in sewing and uh, is able to provide for her family because of that. Um, so we spent... The week really working with their team, um, and then um, on Friday night, probably for me, the highlight, um, there was a, a vision night, so they had gathered some other folks from around the city that would be interested in what they're doing. One of the guys um, that was present was uh, the previous mayor of Bujumbura, about a city of a million people. He's in the room with us, another lady who runs uh, the largest uh, propane company in the country, she was uh, Oxford educated, so not too often do I get to sit in a room and speak to people who are educated at Oxford. Um, and then another lady who had been a TV anchor now runs a nonprofit and pastors a church. Um, and so I had the honor of sharing vision for uh, the church there in Burundi, um, which was an incredible honor that they would allow me to share and speak at that event. And God just showed up. Like it was just, you could just feel it like, uh, as I was speaking, it wasn't so much what I was speaking, but it was what God was doing. Tears started to fill the eyes of the people in the room. Um, and the, the guy who had been the, the mayor um, at the end stood up and said, we will never forget what God did this night. Um, and so I'm excited. I feel like God is putting pieces together for Abundant Life Church in Burundi to be a resource for that nation and for the rest of Africa. You've probably heard us say that uh, Burundi is classified as the poorest nation on earth economically. Um, I would say culturally and people resources, they are incredibly wealthy. They have incredible hearts and they're incredible people and I can't wait to see what God does there and you're invited, okay? 
So we're gonna make way uh, to get our church family over there so that you could be influenced by them and they could be influenced by you and we wanna see what God does. Um, and so as we, even as we step into this year, um, we're working on several short-term missions opportunities that you'll be invited in and that's one of them. Um, and we're just believing that God wants to do incredible stuff um, from our church family in our region and in the nations. Are y'all in, in on that? Yeah. Sounds good, you wanna be a part? Yeah. Awesome. We're uh, going to continue our series, Missio Dei, uh, that just means the mission of God, um, but let me pray for us and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you have invited us to be in on your great story, what you're doing uh, in the world, and Lord, we, um, like, you, people are like kind of shooting, like a little bit of shame there. We've probably lost our kids several times, usually not for more than a couple minutes. Um, but this last summer, Lauren and I uh, were with some friends that were about to, really close friends, about to move out of the state. And so we had like one last getaway at the beach. So we were in this three-story beach house at Port Aransas. And it was morning. We were uh, cooking breakfast. The, the third floor, top floor, was the living area and the kitchen. The middle floor was the bedrooms. Um, and then the bottom floor was basically just the entryway. And so uh, the kids are all playing on the middle floor. And then on the top floor, uh, we're cooking, drinking coffee, having a good time. Well, Lauren gets this like check in her spirit. Moms, you probably get this even more than dad. You're just more in tune. Hey, go check on the kids. So she goes from the third floor to the second floor. She's looking for the kids. Uh, the older kids are there, the younger kids are not there. So we're talking about four kids, five years old and younger. So then Lauren goes uh, to the bottom floor and opens up the front door that the kids knew they were not supposed to go out of because like the main highway is just like probably 50 yards from the front door um, and then back behind uh, the house was a swimming pool. And so she goes to the front door, and there is our youngest, Eli, two and a half, in his pajamas, covered head to toe in water. So she's like, what in the world is going on? She looks around the corner, and one of our friend's kids, who also about that same age can't swim, covered in their pajamas in water. And then she goes to find uh, our five-year-old and I think their three-year-old or four-year-old in the pool, none of these kids are swimming without floaties, right? So, so somehow they have escaped. We have lost them. We're wonderful parents, right? <laughs> and now they're swimming in water that they can't swim in. In fact, the kids that are covered head to toe have no ability whatsoever to swim. Terrifying, right? Parents, you're like, oh, can't believe that. Not parents. You're like judging right now. Because <laughs> you're like, how could you be so irresponsible? <laughs> just wait, yeah. The parents are saying, just wait. And we were terrified and a bit angry, actually. It's like, what in the world were you thinking? And then so grateful that God spoke to Lauren's heart. Because the truth is, those kids should not have made it. We, we spent lunch uh, that same day with uh, Jeff and Dana Hutto, Dana, our prayer pastor. Uh, we were sharing the story with them. And 
Dana went, went back like she does and just started talking to God. God, what was going on there? And she said that she felt pretty clearly from God that God sent angels that rescued our kids. Um, and, and if you're a parent, you know that feeling in your heart. Maybe your kids uh, didn't do what my kids did. Um, but when your kids are separated or when your kids are, are not following Jesus or when your kids are not living in their call or when your kids are struggling and wrestling, you know that feeling in your heart and it gives you a tender place. It, it takes your, your thoughts. It becomes the thing that you are most consumed with. I want my kids back. And I, I believe this, that I think a lot of times when we talk about the mission of God and evangelism and, and what God's doing in the world, we, we tend to think about it not from a family mentality, but from a club mentality. We tend to think about organizational religion and, oh, let's get that person to pray a prayer and they can be a part of this thing that we're doing. But, but I, I believe it's way bigger than that and it's way better than that. I, I believe that this book right here, the one in your hands, is screaming from cover to cover that God is a good father, that he is a loving father and he wants his kids back. If you were to say, what is the, the great narrative of scripture, I would say this, that God started as a loving father with kids. We see it with Adam and Eve in the garden. And like a good father, parents, you need to catch this, like a good father, he gave his kids choice. You cannot force your kids into living out the call of God on their life, to walking in relationship with God. It will not work. In fact, religion and experience in that way will often produce rebellion. You may get good results uh, until they're out of the house, but it will typically not go well. So God started as a loving father and he, he gave his kids choice and, and Adam and Eve made some bad ones and the truth is you and I have made some bad ones, but God, more than uh, being heartbroken about our choice, he was heartbroken about our relationship because he is desperate to be in relationship with his kids. He was willing to go to the cross to be in relationship with his kids from cover to cover. He's saying, I want my kids back. And when we begin to grasp what God's heart is and what he's doing in the world, we begin to partner with that very same father's heart that says, hey, I, I wanna be in on getting my kids back. I wanna be in on bringing my estranged brothers and sisters back into the family of God. And when we begin to think this way, it's not about having good stories to tell, and it's not about having notches on my belt, and it's not saying, hey, I got this many people to pray a prayer, or I went to this other country and I shared the gospel and I got these responses. No, it's, it's way bigger than that, and it's way better than that. It's saying, hey, God is building a family. He's building real relationships that have meaning and depth, and he wants everybody to be involved. Go with me uh, to John chapter one. I'm gonna... Uh, Share first from John 20, but we'll be in John chapter one at least for a few minutes here. John chapter 20, verse 21 says this. I think this is the most concise, I would even say the most beautiful version of the Great Commission. It says This is the words of Jesus uh, just after the resurrection and just before the ascension. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. What Jesus is saying is that in the same way that Father God sent him, Jesus, by the way, 
is also, also often referred to as the second Adam. He is the great do-over for humanity. And he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so for us, when we start thinking about the, the mission of God, the great sending of God, the best way to understand that is to understand the life of Jesus. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us into the world. Now, when I think of that, I often think about the incredibly supernatural side of Jesus' ministry. That he came and he did miracles. He met the Samaritan woman at the well and told her stuff about her life, that there's no way that he should have known, all of that stuff. But when we begin to understand the incarnation, the sending of Jesus to earth, God incarnate is way more significant than that. You see, the incarnation shows us this, that God did not come as a 33-year-old man with miraculous power. As Talladega Nights says that he came as six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. It's not an endorsement of that movie, by the way. Amen. But when we begin to understand the incarnation, we understand that God coming to earth, quite possibly us being sent to earth, has more to do with weakness and vulnerability than it does with authority and power. You've got God, the creator of the universe, and he moves in next door. He makes himself vulnerable. He entrusts his life to humanity. That's significant. You see, I I love what we would call power evangelism, praying for people, they encounter God, they know he's real and that he loves them. That has a place. But, But most of us, the people that we're gonna lead to Jesus that we're gonna bring back into the family, it's not gonna be through street ministry. It's gonna be because we move in. It's gonna be because we're vulnerable. It's gonna be because we work with them, because we live with them, because they're our neighbors, because we go to school with them. And it's not gonna be because of what we know and it's not gonna be because of the, the supernatural ministry that we carry, though we should. That is part of being sent like Jesus. But it's gonna be because we were real. It's going to be because we even gave a piece of our lives to them. It's going to be because we moved in and didn't try to think of ourselves as the ones that have it all figured out, the ones that have it all together, the ones that have the solution to every problem, but because we're the ones that love well and that entrust our life to others. So John chapter one, verse nine. says, the true light, this is talking about Jesus coming. says, the true light that gives light to to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not 
born not of natural descent, not of human decision or the husband's will, but born of God. I believe that what God is saying is, I want my kids back. What he's saying is, what I want for my body to be, the the family of God to be, is to be a people who represent me well and who create space for those who are my kids but estranged to come back into the family of God. Just pause for a second. Can you feel his father's heart for the lost? See, my concern for us is that when we begin to think about salvation and evangelism and all of those things, we have been so influenced by Greco-Roman thinking that we miss the heart of the Father. See, much of the church was shaped by really Greek philosophy. And so the pictures we have of heaven and hell, of evangelism and salvation being primarily about the afterlife have very little to do with what's in scripture and very much to do with philosophy that quite honestly is not congruent with scripture. And so we begin to to think, if I get them to pray this prayer and agree with my thoughts, then They'll get to be with me in the afterlife, and that's really all this thing is about. Now, let me say this. Scripture is clear about the afterlife, and I'm not saying that heaven and hell are not real places, but that's not the gospel that the early church preached. It's not the gospel that Jesus preached. In fact, I think one of the clearest pictures of the gospel we find in Luke chapter 15 And you know the story. It starts off with the parable of the lost sheep. And that sheep wanders off. Now, maybe you're here and it's like, yeah, I've wandered off from God. Or you know people in your life. It's like they've made a decision to go a different way. And that shepherd represents the the heart of God. And so we're, we're either sheep or we're the shepherd, okay? We can partner with the heart of God as the Father sent me, so I send you. I can, I can partner with that heart. And, and that's the heart that goes looking for the, for the lost. We get the second story, and in the second story, it's the parable of the lost coin. And, and, and in that circumstance, maybe you're, you're a coin. You're not lost because you wandered off. You're not lost because you did something, but circumstances separate you from God. It's like family life and tragedy, and and maybe you grew up in a family that that was not interested in God at all, and those circumstances separate you. So there's people that are out there just like that, 
And to partner with the heart of God looks like turning the, the house upside down in order to find what's been misplaced. And we see the story, we call it the prodigal son, I like to call it the story of the good father. We've got son that goes into rebellion, chooses to get lost. And what we find is that the, the heart of the father is waiting. It says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him. What would it look like to partner with the father's heart for those in your life who've been estranged from God? Not that God has left them, but but they in their own mind, in their own way, in their own choice have decided to go a different way. I don't think it looks like begging them or arguing with them, by the way. But it probably means prayerfully awaiting their return. That even while they're a long way off, and I've seen it time after time, it's, it's crazy, and it's not because my prayers are any different than your prayers, but I've seen it time after time that I don't even have to say something to somebody, but as I begin to pray and partner with the heart of God in faith, I start to see people begin to turn around and make their way home, and and it's not about my credit, because I really didn't do anything. I just partnered with that prompting like Lauren had with our kids. It's like, oh. And, and as we begin to pray, and as we begin to love, we see that they find their way back home. There's a, a stat I heard years ago, maybe it's changed a bit by now, but that most people who give their lives to Jesus, they know are in relationship with 5.4 Christians. Now, I don't know what a .4 Christian is. I think I may know a few. <laughs> we're, we're grading you on your Christianity. Yeah, you're a .7. You're a .4. I don't know. But the reality is, is that if we, if, if we want to see people in our lives step back into relationship with Jesus, it, it, it's probably going to be because they experience the family of God more than one person, relationship. And, and uh, I love it, we see it pretty regularly that people come here and God's been working on them and probably through relationship with you and they make that decision on a Sunday morning, hey, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. But, but I think it's probably more effective that that happens over the, the table. It's probably more effective that that happens in the, in the break room or... Uh, in the gym or w wherever it is that you hang out. Well, I think that when we begin to recognize and partner with the heart of God, what we'll see is that he is serious and crazy and consumed with seeing his kids come back into relationship with him. And, and when we can get the para paradigm right, and we can begin to see this not as organizational religion or as a club, but as the family of God. And what we recognize is that people need relationship with other believers, that's called the church, in order to, to experience the transforming love of God and step into their destiny. 
And the truth is you and I, we need that same thing too. We need those relationships to, to spur us on towards good works, to, to lead us into the purposes of God. Let me just chase a, a rabbit for a second. Pa- part of what we've done in the, in the West is that we have made church centered on doctrine. And so the, the problem with doing that is that we gather and we divide based on being in full agreement with the message of the local church that we're a part of. Here's the, the dangerous thing. I'll just let you into a little bit of my heart. I don't agree with everything that I say. So if that's the standard, I probably can't even go to the church that I lead. <laughs> the point isn't that we agree on every line. Now, I think if we're going to be spiritual family, we have to submit our, our belief systems to each other and be sharpened and challenged and grow. But the point is, if, if, if the preacher here or the person leading your community group says something that you disagree with, that's not the reason to leave what God is doing. Because what we're supposed to be bound by is by love, not by doctrine. Now, I'm not saying that we should go crazy and get weird in our doctrine or that we should like create room for all sorts of crazy stuff to happen. But what I am saying is that what I believe what God is doing in the earth is not about doctrine and denomination. In fact, uh, a lot of times when people reference, oh, there's you know, 44,000 or whatever denominations in the US. Like, and they're like, oh, so the church must be really divided. How many last names are in the US? Way more than that. And so just because the, the guys down the street are a part of a different denomination doesn't mean that we're not in relationship, okay? Because when we begin to embrace the idea of being spiritual family instead of doctrine and denominations, what we find out is that we, that we just gather with the people that God has called us to be family with. And it's like, oh, no, the, the guys down the street, San Marcos Community Church or Hill Country or the Episcopal Church right here. It's not that we're not against each other. In fact, I've got cousins that have different last names than me. My, my little sister now has a different last name than me. But we didn't stop being family because we have a different name. And when we begin to understand, hey, this thing really is all about family. And when somebody comes, gives their life to Jesus and maybe you prayed with them, and you've been walking with them, and they end up going to a different church, it doesn't really matter, because it's all the family of God. When we begin to understand that the mission of God is not about notches on our belt, it's not about uh, trying to win conversations and arguments, but it really is about seeing people step into the family of God. And the truth is, all of us, when we step into the family of God, what we find is that the ability to belong before we believe begins to shape who we are and who we become. And so a lot of people come in and they're like, I don't really know what I believe, but I really feel loved. That's what I'm interested in. 
I believe that's what God wants to do. In fact, I think some of you here, you're like, you know what? I want to reach my neighbors. And you don't need, but I'm about to give it to you, you don't need special permission to start a, a dinner party or a community group or whatever to, to love on your neighbors and to have good conversations and even to pray with them. Just go do it. But I'll, I'll bl- I bless you. If you need somebody to lay hands on you to do it, I'll, come on up. I'll bless you to go do it or to do that in your workplace. Because the truth is our world is so desperate for love. So desperate for, for healthy or we'll just say it probably more accurately, somewhat healthy relationships that it really is about us laying down all of our agenda and stuff and just loving people well. And I think as we do what we'll see, it's not an ulterior motive to love. It's like it's the ultimate motive is that people would encounter the one who is love. So go with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5 and we'll, we'll close here. You all with me? Okay, I woke up this morning and changed my message because I just felt like it's supposed to be really simple. I feel like as we wrap up that really what God wants for you and I is that we would begin to have his heart for the people around us. Second Corinthians 5, starting 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he Uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Amen? Amen. That's good. I think that's good news. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Would you say, I have the ministry of reconciliation? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This is what Dustin talked about a second ago. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God is giving you, has given you a message of reconciliation. Love Paul's picture of adoption, particularly in Galatians 4, when we begin to understand that word for adoption, love what Steve says, that salvation and adoption are actually synonymous. Because what God is doing is adopting us into the family of God. What the, the word Paul uses for adoption is not that God adopts kids who are not his own. It's that God is adopting those who were previously his kids and yet been estranged. And here's my belief. That God is the spiritual father of the entire world. And it's not that some aren't his kids and some are. It's that all are his kids and some have been estranged. And what he's saying is, would you participate in the ministry of reconciliation with me? And, and sometimes you, you've probably been in a relationship that has fallen apart to the extent that you need a go-between. And it's not that God 
needs us to defend him to the world. It's that people are estranged from God and they're terrified about who they think he is, about who religion has made him out to be. And so what the the world is needing in our ministry of reconciliation is that we would put on display the father heart of God. That we would say, oh, you've actually misunderstood the very heart of God. And, And so let me help you reconcile to what God is really like. He's really good and he's for you. He's not angry with you. He's not against you. In fact, he is not waiting for you to get to heaven to judge you by a long list of sins that you have or some DVD reel or whatever you've been told, but he's actually taken all of that on himself and he's given his life for you and he's, he's removed your sin and he's, he's made you white as snow and he's wanting you to step into the reality of the work that he's already finished. Years ago, I was talking with an older guy and his son had snuck out of the house at like 15 and I think they were actually in a dangerous place of Mexico when it happened. And so son came in and, and he, he got in a little bit of trouble. Hey, son, that's not good for you. And the, the dad, who's quite a wild man, said, okay, now it's time for your, for your discipline. 15-year-old boy takes off his belt. Dad takes off his belt. Son's terrified. He's like, I haven't had a whooping in a long time. And the father begins to spank himself, not the son. And I think when we begin to understand that what God did is he took everything that was coming our way, the wages of sin, the punishment of the powers of this world. And he said, you know what? I'm, I'm taking it all on me so that I can be reconciled with you. That's the kind of father we have. That he, he's not saying you need to pay for what you've done. I've already paid for it. And I'll make a way for you to come back into the family of God, to be reconciled, to be made right. And I bet After that experience, that son probably never left again because he realized that his father's heart was for him. It wasn't about the rules. It was actually for him. So I've got a a challenge for you, and then I just want to pray for you. My my challenge is this. I've got a, in my phone, I have a, a daily prayer list, and on my daily prayer list, it says kids on the run. And it's people that I care dearly about. And for whatever reason, as much as I know, they're not walking with God. And I pray for them daily. My encouragement, my challenge to you is that maybe you should do the same thing. Maybe it's two or three people in your life and that you would just commit to pray daily for those, those people in your life. Watch what God does first in your own heart and then watch what he does in their life. Because I believe that God is bringing people back to himself. The second thing is, would you, you can go ahead and stand. I just wanna pray for you.
that you would begin to just grow in God's heart for the people around you. Just put your hand on your heart. Say, Father, thank you that you love me. Let's try that again. Say, Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you for your heart for me. That you continually pursue me. And you don't leave me. Thank you for your heart for the world. I want your heart. I want my heart to beat like your heart. So Father, I just ask now that you just pour out your heart on us. That you would give us the ability to perceive the ministry of reconciliation that you've given to us. I'm just going to invite the ministry team to come forward. Maybe you're here this morning. And you do, you need to come home. You need to say, hey, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. I wanna step into the family of God. These folks would love to pray with you. This morning also just had this thought and prayer that there are some here who you're really wrestling in your mind with fear, anxiety, depression. I just feel like God wants to minister to you in that place that he wants to begin to lift that burden off of you. I think a a lot of that burden comes from the idea that I'm on my own, that I've got to figure it out on my own. I believe God just wants to remind you that he's with you. It's also often that on Sunday mornings we see people who are sick, who maybe have an injury or an ongoing illness uh, healed and so if that's you if you need prayer for anything this team would love to pray for you so thank you for being here love you let's worship a little bit